Gig Gab, the Working Musicians Podcast, episode number 65 for Monday, May 16th, 2016. <music> Greetings, folks. And welcome to Gig Gab, the podcast for, by, and about working musicians, a.k.a. weekend warriors, here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. Here in Los Gatos, California, it's Paul Kent. How are you doing this week, Paul? Good. I'm a little tired today. We, it was a pretty busy weekend, and uh, my body's feeling the effects of a house rocker gig on a Saturday night, followed by a Sunday afternoon acoustic gig, and uh, so... I'm a little, I'm a little Monday morning. I'm kind of easing into the week. My body's like, what the heck happened this week? Yeah. Yeah. I, that is a thing that, uh, I don't want to turn this into old guy rock and roll show, but, um, b- because, because one of us is much older than the other, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, that's not entirely true, <laughs> but it sounds good that way. Um, it, but it, there, the, yeah, when I turned, there have been like every decade, there's been a, a different thing that I've noticed. And, you know, it was when I turned like 30, I realized I can't like play rock and roll all night and then expect to be fully productive the next day as though nothing happened. Right. You know, and then yeah. and then when I turned 40, uh, it was the leg cramps that I wake up with after gigs if I don't properly hydrate uh, either during or, or at least after a gig. So. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just it's fun. It's just general joints, my knees and my lower back mm. are definitely are definitely feeling the feeling the effects and the knees yeah. more. Huh. The knees, yeah, the knees almost every every time now are like kind of cranky the next day after any kind of a gig. Yep. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it but, happens, right? Well, I mean, it, it you know, it is especially a uh, I mean, any kind of gig you play, it, it, you're using your body in various ways, so it makes sense. But a a gig that is a you know loud rock and roll gig on a stage with lights, um, it, you know, especially if you're amped up, which you should be if you're playing, uh, you know, you're you're exerting yourself. It's it's like exercise. I mean, I don't I don't know what the caloric burn count is for everybody else on the stage, but I know for me, per hour, it's six to eight hundred calories. Yep. So you know, it's not it, it's it's very easy for me to burn two thousand calories in a night and. Uh, and if, and, and, and probably close to three, especially when you're including like load in and load out and you know, all of that stuff. So it's, it's a lot. It's funny. Cause the guys we've, we've eased into kind of calling May to the end of September, our season, you know, like sure. the season that we play or, you know, the, the, when we, we tour or something like that and guys talk in terms of, I have to get in shape for the season. The horn players talk in, ter- in terms of getting their, getting their, their, uh, their lips, their chops in shape for mm-hmm. a blow that that's long. But the rest of the band is really cognizant that it's, you know, and sometimes we're going to do three or four days in a row Yeah, and it's always pretty high energy and no, no it's always high energy. Right. And uh, yeah, I mean, you, you know, you got to take care of your equipment, all of your equipment, all of your equipment. Or, yeah. Or it will fail you. <laughs> yeah. I remember when I was on the road now, I was a much younger man then, uh, but even then, you know, Lisa came out. Lisa was my girlfriend at the time. She's now my wife. So things worked out great. But um, <laughs> but she came out to visit me, I guess, about halfway through the tour. So I'd been gone a month and a half, you know, and we would played more nights. We had more nights 
on than off. Um, and I think by the time she got there, we had literally just finished a 14 night string of gigs in, in separate towns, I believe. Yeah. So we were, I mean, we were not only were we playing a lot, but we were, we had a routine and a, you know, a regimen and, and it, it worked out great. But, uh, you know, she got off the plane and gave me a hug and she's like, whoa, you're all buff. Like, well, yeah, you know, look what I do every day now. It's it's different than sitting at a computer and you think you could do you think you could do 14 days in a row right now. I think I could. Yeah, sure. I would do it. Um, 14 I, days on the road. Well, yeah, you know, in a, in a sense, that's when the road is is great. Right. When you when you don't have day, days off on the road or the killer. But days on, I loved that 14-day stretch that we did, which was the longest stretch. We'd do six-day stretches, whatever. And, and it was – the stretches were always great because I didn't have anything else um, – I didn't have to come up with things to occupy my time during the day. No, no, no. You're answering the different question. I'm just, okay. Could your body and, well, and whatever the sleep implications yeah. are, did you do, the, do that exact tour 14 days in a row right now? Uh, probably. Yeah. Because, and, and I, I, I was relating the two probably because I wouldn't schedule, I wouldn't attempt to do anything else. Right. I would just, I'd take two weeks off of whatever it is I, I do, I otherwise do. And I would shift my sleep schedule and do that. And, and then it'd be fine. Yeah. But it'd be, it's when you're trying to cram real life into, you know, if I had to do 14 gigs down the street from my house every night, that would be harder than 14 on the road. In a row, but, but, you know, playing three nights a week on the road sucks because you got four days where, yeah. you know, yeah, it's a whole different thing, but yeah, I think I could. Yeah. 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 I, uh, I, I, had, sing, I don't think I could sing 14 days. I was now. just going to say, if I had to sing, you know, half the night or more, um, I don't know. I think, I think I could still do it. I guess there's only one way to find out. You need a lot of discipline. I mean, yeah. you know, I told you about that friend of mine who's, who's in school of rock. And um, so, you know, he's doing seven or eight performances a week and he, you know, wraps himself up with a, something around his throat and has his, you know, preferred tea elixir type thing. I mean, he's has a very, very, and very little talking when, if, if any talking yeah. when he's not on stage and it, you know, there's a regimen to being a professional singer. Absolutely. Singing that often. Yeah. You have to respect that regimen. Yeah. Well, so and that's what I'm saying is, your body. is the, the, the regimen is, is automatic when you're on the road or, or more easily automatic. But when you're waking up in your own bed and you realize, Oh, you know, I got to mow the lawn or I got to do this around that, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. That that's where I feel like I'd screw myself up, uh, you know, for gigs. If I have gigs two or three nights in a row and I try to do, you know, whatever housework during the day or, or anything during the day, I notice that second gig suffers you know what, from I, it. I'm agreeing with you because I can, I, I've gotten into the habit. Like if, if I have three or four gigs in a row of being incredibly efficient with anything else I have to do on those days, but it, it would be so much easier if I could just get in a routine of, you know, getting this amount of rest, getting to the gig this amount of time before yeah. and not having to deal with kind of all that life. So I guess in a way I can guess regimen would take care of itself, but um, I don't know if the body could hold out 14 days. Yeah, I, right. I, I, need a knee, <laughs> I need a knee replacement at the end of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get to sit down. So it's, it's a, I mean, it's, it's exertion. Don't get me wrong, but it is slightly different, right. you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I don't know. It's, it's fun. It's so we stuff. debuted. House Rockers played 
um, our last indoor date at um, this local club that's kind of our home. And we debuted a bunch of cool songs and some went great, some went good, nothing went bad. Um, <clears throat> and uh, we had a great time. But the highlight of the night was we're taking, I think I told you, we're doing that big and rich song, Save a Horse, Ride a Cowboy. Yeah. And then we break it down in the middle. And Steve, our bass player, uh, does this whole rap routine, which went off awesome. I mean, awesome. we sound checked it. Um, and only the bartenders were in there and we, and we you know, ran it through and we've been really meticulous in, in kind of working it up. And, uh, and I was kind of watching and the bartenders who were younger, when we got to this part of the song, they just kind of looked up in disbelief and then we're like smiling and kind of getting into it. That's so killer. I, you know, we're thinking we're onto something here. And then when we played it, people love it. So they love it for a couple of reasons. One, you know, Steve is kind of always in the back by the drums and he, sure. and, you know, he doesn't come forward. So, and people love him. I mean, he's just a lovable guy. And, um, so it is a, it's not actually, but to those who don't know him, it's out of character. Um, and then he comes up and he sells it like you wouldn't believe. I mean, he gets into performance rap in like a very authentic way, which I think is the reason it goes over. It's not, sure. it's not a parody. Like he's, he's going for it. Cool. Yeah. So that was the big, uh, the big kind of change to our, to our, um, to our style, addition to our, uh, yeah. our repertoire. And yeah. <sighs> That's so, killer. Yeah, we're really happy with it. Aren't good. The, the rest of the gig and went well, I assume. It went well. I mean, there were a couple of new things where the endings weren't quite tight enough, and we hadn't played <laughs> in three weeks, and, and, and we're playing for the first time in three weeks a lot of material we haven't, we haven't performed before. So all said and done, there were definitely some, some things that need to be smoothed over, but uh, people really seemed to like the new material. The band was so happy to be on stage again, um, yeah, so, um, we're off to a good start. So by the time you join us at the end of August day, we will be a well-oiled machine. Well, see, that's the thing is you, you've got kind of the Rocky thing going on now and everybody's on high alert because, you know, there's new stuff happening and, and you got to kind of get into the, the mode by mid August. It's going to be, you know, that part of it's going to be autopilot for you guys. And then I get to show up and uh, force everybody to pay attention again because yep. uh, suddenly we got a guy holding everything down that doesn't know how to hold everything down. So <laughs> or that, that doesn't know all the nuances that happen through, uh, you know, through the summer. So you'll uh, be great, though. I mean, it, I, I'm, I'm thinking it's going to go way smoother. I mean, you and I are anticipating the best, but I actually think it's going to be very comfortable because the band will be so relaxed right, by then. Right. And Strom is will you know, we'll put you on his back and, and carry you through the gigs. Oh, and I, yeah, I have no doubt. Very yeah. generous musician who's going to make sure you know where the endings are and all that stuff. I've found that playing, you know, when I've sat in with you guys, both him and, and your keyboard player, Nick, have are, are very generous in that regard. Yeah. Uh, that's a great way to, to put it. Yep. Yep. Um, let's see. I'm trying to think. I had, uh, well, I had a gig last week that was an acoustic gig. It was a for a a. a, a party i guess that the university of new hampshire throws for all their big sports uh donors for their sporting you know for all the sports programs and they do this once a year and we've done this gig every year with them and it's interesting uh because we're hired to be wallpaper right and we do it as an acoustic thing but the goal is always to you know by the end of the night attract enough people over so that it's it like it becomes kind of a fun gig i mean we always have fun but you know when you're hired to be wallpaper and but there's you know there, there we have permission to you know kind of pull it in but we can't just totally 
you know, dominate the attention for the evening because it's about people getting to schmooze with each other and people get to, you know, the people that have donated money get to hang out with the coach from the hockey team. And, you know, this that that stuff is going on while we play. So uh, so it went well. It was, you know, it was it was exactly that. We kind of smoothed into it. We uh, the date got changed almost last minute. And so we had to do uh, it couldn't be either one of my acoustic things. It was a combination of both. So it was neither monkey fist nor hamnesiac. It was ham fisted, um, <laughs> which is me and uh, John Donahue was the singer from chafed and monkey fist. And then Russ, who's the guitar player in uh, fling and hamnesiac. But uh, but that kept brought us to, on all it. brought together by you. Yeah. Yeah. And that kept us all. We've done it before. We, this is not the first time that ham fisted has wound up picking up a gig, but um, but it, it worked out. It, you know, everybody kind of uh, it, it, it's it's that same kind of thing where, you know, you're somewhat comfortable. You've done this once or twice before. But, you know, he Russ is going to play things a little differently than John's expecting. John's going to sing things differently. You know, the forms might be different, even though they both know these tunes, that kind of thing. So it actually worked out really well. We had a nice time. It was a, it was a good gig. And then, then the rest of last weekend and this weekend, I have been on the other side of the equation doing sound. Uh, I saw you posted something about how great something went, but I didn't understand the context of it. Yeah. So the, last weekend, uh, before we did the previous show, uh, I was in Burlington, Vermont with my son's uh, middle school jazz band. They do this every other year where they go up there and they play uh, for – they actually, they play at Ben & Jerry's outside, right? at the. There's a big Ben & Jerry's factory outside of uh, really? Vermont. Yeah, outside of Burlington, which is where, you know, where those guys started. And uh, so they do the tour of the factory and then they set up outside uh, the entrance and play for about a half hour. And then the next, that's always on Friday afternoon on their way up. And then on Saturday, they uh, march in a parade for Burlington's kids day. And then they play at at kind of a a stage that's set up for the, uh, for the kids day thing. And the stage, the, the, the stage performance is always interesting because it's, it's a, you know, it's a stage that being used throughout the day. They just have a one hour time slot or 40 minute time slot, whatever it turns out to be. And there's a house sound guy. Uh, it, thankfully, this year it was the same guy that I had worked with in the past. But, uh, you know, in the past and whenever I have to deal with this, it's like I know this band and they have I mean, it's it's called the the jazz band and studio orchestra. But it really is more of a studio orchestra. So they're playing stuff all over the map. They've got multiple vocalists on every tune. They're playing, you know, some pop songs, some some traditional stuff. It's just all over the place. And these are middle school kids. They're seventh and eighth graders. And they're really talented. But, you know, mic technique isn't exactly perfect. They work on it throughout the year. And it really helps. By the end of the year, there's a there's a relationship that happens, right? Where I know what they're going to do. I know how they're going to react in these songs. And I know that for the chorus of this song, this kid starts singing louder. And so I've got to bring him down in order for, you know, the, the, uh, the harmony to come out and that kind of thing. And uh, when there's somebody else that's going to run sound, I don't want to step on their toes, you know, but at the same time, I want it to sound good. So it's always an interesting kind of thing. And I usually start out by saying, Hey, you know, I'm here. Uh, if you have any questions, let me know. Otherwise, I'll just help the kids get set up and then I'll, you know, I'll be out of your hair. And I always try to kind of drop in, you know, little hints about, all right, during the second song, you might want to know this or you might want to know that. And usually but by the time the band starts, they're just like, look, why don't you sit at the board and mix them like that? Would, would you mind? That's going to be way easier. Like, yeah, no problem. <laughs> and so this guy, when he saw me, he was like, hey, it's you again. He's like, you want to mix the front of house? I'm like, yeah, that's <laughs> fine. <laughs> 
Um, so, but it works out better, it, you know, and it, but it, it's all about making that team effort. It's no different than the kind of the, the path that I would walk trying to make it that team effort when I'm playing. And, and there's a, you know, a house sound guy who I've never worked with before. You, you know, it's, it's, we're all in this together. And the more you can kind of make it that team thing, the, the better everybody's going to, sure. everybody's going to do. So, so yeah, so this weekend was actually pretty cool. It was a, a, a British composer, uh, a modern jazz composer by the name of Will Todd came over uh, from, from England and performed with both the middle school and the high school jazz bands here and, 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 uh, and one of the church choirs. And it was at the, it was, uh, the event happened at the university of New Hampshire and the big theater there. It's about an 800 seat theater. And, uh, and they have a, a house sound guy who I know and I've worked with many, many times, but this show was well beyond me. Uh, it, but it was, but he asked me, I don't know, three days before the show, he said, Hey, are you playing with, with, you know, with this Will Todd thing. I said, I, I don't think so. You know, does, does somebody need to? He's like, well, no. He's like, if you're not playing, I want you to help. He says, we don't have the budget to hire somebody else. Like, awesome. Go for the, <laughs> go for the volunteer guy. Uh, so, but it, it was very interesting being involved because this, you know, this was a 90 minute performance. It had two completely different uh full orchestras that played with him. Each, you know, one of them is about 75 people. The other is about 40 uh, a choir of about 40 people and all of these things coming on and off the stage, you know, th quickly throughout the night. And so the idea was we need to set up the microphones ahead of time. So we're not trying to move things around during the performance. And Andy really, this is a guy named Andy Dolph, uh, who's called into the show before. We might even have him as a guest. He, he engineered the the whole thing and mixed the night with the exception of one song that the middle school jazz band did, which I mixed for the reasons we just described. But, but you know, the night was his and the way he kind of not only engineered the mics, but the staging and, and uh, making sure everybody was in the right spots on the stage so that they'd be picked up and pulling the chorus out of the, uh, you know, kind of out of the back of the stage with these, just the way he set up all the mics and stuff. It was fascinating. It, always a learning experience. So, um, so I highly recommend that if that, you know, if you're a geek about that stuff. Make friends with your local sound guys because they might call you for for things that are really really cool. So anyway, it's a black art. Yeah, well, it, it it's it is art. It's true. It, and we were talking about you know microphone choices and stuff, and he started telling me, well, I find this better and that better. And he's like, you know, and that guy would, you know, we, we talked a lot about Bob Heil because uh, I'm actually using a Heil mic here, and I use a lot of Bob's mics. But Bob believes that there's never a need for a condenser mic. And, and we started talking about how that gets, you know, to be a religion and on both sides of the equation, you know, Bob feels no, some people feel yes. And it's like, yeah, but you know, as long as you can make it sound good out there, who cares, you know, <laughs> or not who cares, but it doesn't matter to everybody else. Do what, do what works for you, do it the way that works for you and you're good to go. So it's fun. You, um, you've been doing some vocal rehearsals though. And, uh, and I don't want to, I, I feel like there's something we can talk about here and I don't want to miss that. So yeah. I don't want to put that conversation off another week. Tell me about how these vocal rehearsals have been going. Well, I'll tell you this. Vocal rehearsals are probably one of the most, you, you get the payoff and the benefit directly. So when you're in a band rehearsal, you're kind of, um, you're, you're a slave to many masters of, of trying to get, you know, people on the page. And the bigger the band, the, the more complex it is sure. of people who need to work apart. I mean, 
we, we may have a song where it's just the trumpets don't sound quite right. And so we have to spend a certain amount of time just, you know, either ironing out a feel or, you know, how to interpret what's on the written page or that type of thing. And that could happen for any instrument. Sure. But for as long as I've been in the band and we've done special vocal only rehearsals and we focus on that, it helps you, you, you see the benefit of that immediately. So a vocal rehearsals are really good. So the way that we do vocal rehearsals are, it's just the guys who need to be there. So that's one thing. And then, you know, we're kind of in a circle and uh, Nick arranges harmonies for us, you know, from his piano. And sometimes there's a little bit of moving things around to make sure the right part is in the right people's range. We don't do every, every harmony exactly as it is on a record. We, you know, when it doesn't work for us, we rearrange things. So we do a lot of earth, wind and fire and, you know, we don't always live up in the stratosphere, you know, like, like they do. So, so we just rearrange things and, you know, you know, my takeaway is, um, uh, vocals make songs sound full as, as most people say, vocals are the thing that your band, the simplest thing for your band to be judged on Yep. Lead, lead vocals and background vocals, background vocals. You know, there's a lot of bands who attempt them. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty hard to, uh, well, let me just say this. It's, I have, I have people who are very good musically who kind of keep the ship, in the right direction. Right. Yep. Yep. So you know, there's a lot of times in bands where you don't have that, where guys just kind of jump on. And usually what oh, you get yeah. is not harmony. Gang get, vocal. Yeah. Gang vocal, which, you know, can work in certain situations. It, in certain situations, it's what you want. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's what, it's what it is, but it doesn't take the place of well-arranged harmony. So yeah. we'll do three or four part harmony um, on several things. And so the most, we have two that we're working on right now. One is rich girl. So anytime you sing hollow notes, it's going to be vocally demanding, right? Yeah. That's I mean, by I mean, definition. That, yeah. Well, it is because, you know, not only are they good singers, great singers, but you know, where they got their inspiration from was those, you know, those Philly harmony groups. Yeah. And so a lot of their songwriting is a throw, a direct connection, direct line to the, you know, the great, you know, sound of Philadelphia um, and those groups, you know, stylistics, you know, dramatics, you know, all these things. So, um, there are there are real background, you know, woos and, and O's and, you know, mm. <laughs> sounds, not necessarily just singing words. So we're doing Rich Girl. And um, so, you know, there's there's harmonies over words that need to be right. And then there's kind of like that backing doo-wop feel that needs to be right as well. And so that's one. And then another one we're doing right now is Ain't No Mountain High Enough, uh, kind of a Funk Brothers adaptation, not not directly the uh, Marvin Gaye, Dan- Tammy Terrell, kind of more, you know, when the Funk Brothers kind of when there was the the movie and and uh, and the and a lot of video about the funk brothers how they kind of performed it live is the essence of what we're doing but again we there's there's women singers and all these things and so we we had to rearrange some of that sure but it is um and Nick is pretty particular so um he he's pretty much a taskmaster and as a non-trained singer who is striving to be trained at all times you know I get called out for you know you're like the whole, you know the whole concept of, of relative pitch versus absolute pitch. Yeah, perfect pitch versus relative pitch. Absolutely right. So you can technically be on the right note, but you're you know you're a few a few degrees, a few cents you know, off of the center of it. Yeah, right. And I tend to do that, and mm. um, and they call me out, and it's a really hard thing because if again as a non-trained singer who doesn't have a whole lot of uh, tools to go back and fix those things, 
you know, if I'm close because that's what I'm hearing is what the note should be. Like when someone tells you just push it a couple, yeah, <laughs> you know, push it a little bit. That's actually pretty hard to do. It's hard to so, do when you have when you don't know how to do that, and it's not something yeah. you can learn in a, in a an afternoon. It it right. it takes a lot of time. Yes, right. And we and actually want to. I was uh, with one vocal teacher. He was kind of talking to me, and he just wanted me to get get familiar with the concept of relative pitch. For you know, like again, yeah. you can technically you know within a few percent on either side. You can, that is the note, but you know, to some it'll sound you know, flat or sharp, but, um, I'm, I'm one of those jackasses, by the way, that, it, where you hear it and it bothers you quite a bit. Oh yeah. 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 But, but it used, used, <laughs> used like the tool I am, um, <laughs> used appropriately, right. You can, that can be a good thing for a band. It sounds like Nick might, might be similar in that regard. Well, Nick is particular about it. And I think the point about learning about relative pitch was, um, I think it's Arthur Rubenstein, Rubenstein, you know, the famous piano yeah. player. He actually felt relative pitch was more important because it was less robotic. It was yes. less. Oh, less, I'm so, so glad I don't have perfect pitch. I used to, I, it used to frustrate me. Not that there's anything you can do about this, right? <laughs> perfect pitch is something that, that I believe as, as far as I understand it, you are born with, or you are not. And, and it's just how it is. And I've seen kids that like don't know they, they have perfect pitch and their parents don't know. I, I saw these two kids at a piano once and they they were little, like, you know, six or something. And one is, is, um, you know, playing something for the other. And he's like, well, yeah. And, and the kid's like, well, how do you know what to play? He's like, well, you find the sound that's the E and then you go from there. Yeah. And it was like, wait a minute. You, what it say that again? You know, he's like, well, you find the sound that's the E, you, you, you know what an E is, it, as though he was saying to you and me, you know what red is. So you start with red and you just move from there. Right. And uh, and this other kid was looking at him like he was, you know, he had his head screwed on the wrong way. And but that's how it is for people with perfect pitch. It's it, it they see it as though it, it like you and I see colors. Um, and so you either have it or you don't. And and now at this point in my life. I'm super happy that what I have is really good relative pitch because if someone's out of tune, unless they're terribly out of tune, like if the band is out of tune or a guitar is out of tune, it doesn't drive me crazy. If it's way out, it drives me crazy. But you know, it, it, a half step in either direction, usually I can deal with. Whereas I know like when we played in, in the all-star band, Chris Breen uh, has perfect pitch right. and, and he would at times move his piano, um, to you know, he would he would make it so he could play in C and 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 you know it would jump to whatever key we were in for you know the singer or whatever we were doing with the song because he had learned it in in a different key, and he said he could only do it so much, but then it would drive him crazy because he would be hitting these notes and it would sound like a different note, and it you know it'd be like taking your blue paintbrush and painting and having it come out red, so yeah, it's just interesting. So anyway, yeah. sorry I didn't mean to. I just you know I it's one of those topics that's interesting to me. Yeah, I'm actually using the term wrong, so. There's absolute pitch. Yeah. Right. And then the, it's, I'm, I'm actually looking up right now. Okay. Um, wh- how to, how to use the term, but let me, let me, let me continue on. Um, absolute so, pitch and perfect pitch it, are the same thing, right? Uh, yeah. Pretty sure. Yeah. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to look this up. Okay. I'll, I'll get back to it in a second. Okay. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. So the question is how do we run these, these rehearsals? Yeah. And so, you know, sometimes it's phrases. Our band is not, our band is not uh, like you have to take the breath here. Like we don't, we don't get into that amount of precision the phrasing. Like, yep. Yeah. I mean, 
you know, we talk about the phrasing. Sure. More what we'll do is we'll talk about the feel. Like like Nick will say, it needs to be more breathy here. Like don't or or back off the mic. So so lessons in blending are one of the things that you get out of vocal rehearsals. That's key. That's harder to do when there's full band noise going on underneath you, right? Mm-hmm. So you learn a little bit about that and. And I actually find, um, again, as a, as a not formally trained singer, and it doesn't come easy for me, it is way easier for me to memorize the relevant vibration of my part when we start with vocal rehearsal. Because, again, once you add all the other kind of stimulus that your brain has to process with the full band playing, it's harder for me to, to just listen to me to get my part in. Yeah. Does that make any sense? Uh, totally. Oh, I, I, I have that problem too. I can't sing harmonies until I learn the, the lead part. And, 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 and then I can usually sing every harmony, right? But uh, not always, but, uh, but usually, but it doesn't, I don't see the picture until I can, I know where everybody else is going to be. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, I have to, I have to memorize my part as though it is a lead part. Oh, and then I have to block everything out of my brain. Have you ever tried it the other way where you learn to, the lead and then, and then just relate your harmony to it? I haven't. Because I, I, I have tried to do what you're talking about and, and that's because it seemed like the natural thing. I was like, well, this is my part. I have to learn it. And it would, I would just like beat it into my head and beat it into my head. And I never really got to where I could just be comfortable and know that what I was going to sing was, was going to work. And then finally, I just kind of stumbled into this other way where it's just like, yeah, I'll learn all the parts. And then guess what? Uh, it's much easier because I can. Well, I'll, I'll try it because, it, you know, there are some things that are a real bear. Interestingly enough, so for we, we play that DMSR song. Yeah. And, I'm, and um, my vocal part is a major is a seventh over a minor seventh chord, right? That makes any sense. Wow. So I, my note is the seventh and I, I always go to the eight, the, the, the root that you go up you know, to the octave. Yeah, of course. Oh, that's what you feel. And that, and they say, well, it's in the chord and I just can't pick the seventh out of the, out of the minor seventh chord that easily. So yeah. that, that's, that's kind of hard, but interestingly enough in, um, ain't no mountain high enough. My part is a third. And I had from the beginning, I haven't had a hard time kind of picking that out. Huh. Weird, right? Yeah, that's weird. Sorry, so I, I'm muted from my phone, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Some things you hear and some things you don't hear. And and some things, the things you don't hear, it is just an excruciating, rep, repetitive process. You know, you just got to keep doing it and do it and do it. Yeah, it's frustrating. It is what you hear. It yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. I, and I, I know, I mean, like I said, that's where I switched to that. I mean, there's, there's two things that I can um, attribute my ability to hear notes and, and sing mostly in tune and one of them is is that having finally figured out that for me and I I mean I suggest it to you not as a you know you must do it this way but obviously but just try it because it worked for me but I know it doesn't work for everybody um, and then the other thing was in college when I started taking harmony and theory classes and had to do sight singing where you're doing those intervals where you're singing you know root third root fifth root seventh root sixth that kind of thing and really learning how what those intervals sound like and just drilling them into your head it didn't hurt it hurt at the time but in retrospect it it helped that uh my sight singing labs for whatever reason were always at eight o'clock in the morning clear on the other side of campus so i had a 20 minute walk usually in the snow and the you know (laughs) blustering wind and so I'd get there and then I had to sing 
And, you know, I, I mean, most of these notes weren't in my range. So I was having to sing like falsettos and stuff. And this was all long before 9 a.m. every day, you know, or three days a week or whatever. It was. Well, this is why that whole concept of ear training is just such an essential tool for someone who wants to be a, you know, a successful musician yeah. at whatever level. Because it, yeah. that is that is the, uh, you know, even more than reading music, I think, like a lot of rhythm instruments you can get away with. You know, I, I don't read music. But sure. I can. It would take me a long time. I can read chord charts, but sure. actually reading, you know, a staff of notes, I, it's, it's, you know, it'd be like me reading Russian and I'd have to do it one word at a time. But, but, um, ear training seems to be the, the fundamental thing for, for communication between musicians. Yeah. And it, it really adds to the enjoyment per the personal enjoyment too, right? When you, when you come in with that knowledge, it, it, it just, it leads to somewhat less frustration, right? You yeah. know, when you're trying to learn a part, so <clears throat> yeah, you're totally right, though, about reading music. I learned how to read on piano um, and I, I can still, you know, I mean, I can't, you know, sight read Mozart or anything, but uh, but I can read on piano and uh, and obviously I can read on the drums. Drums I can sight read. Uh, turns out mostly anything, uh, but except, you know, these like couple of things that always screw me up in these shows that I have to stop and learn. But um, I tried when I started taking guitar, whatever, five or six years ago. I said to my teacher, I said, this is driving me crazy. Um, you know, he was using tablature to show me how to play. And I said, this is driving me crazy because I, I don't know what notes I'm playing. You're telling me to, you know, form these chords. And, uh, and I, like on the piano, I can see what the notes are. I said, I, I'm just not seeing it yet on the guitar. I said, can we, instead of using tab, can we use, uh, you know, regular staff notation? And he looked at me like I was crazy. He's like, everybody hates reading on the guitar. And I said, okay, but still, this is driving me crazy. And so we did, we did about two months of reading on the guitar and it's a disaster trying to read a staff that's built for piano on the guitar. It's like trying to read for, you know, six pianos simultaneously, but you got to know which one to jump your note to. So once I got the picture of what the notes mostly were on the, you know, on the fretboard, I was like, all right, done. Let's go back to the the tablature. That's way easier. He's like, thank you. <laughs> so, Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you don't want to have to learn to read for guitar, man. That's no one should have to do that. But you're right. If someone says just sing a third above or sing a fifth above, this is a this is a a very um, fundamental way that musicians will communicate to each other. Yeah, yeah, it is right, right. Well, and the trick is knowing what that sounds like because it, there's there's things that sort of drive me crazy with with harmonies, and one of them is the guy that always jumps to your harmony. It, you know, you work it out and when they sing it alone, everything's fine. Okay, great. Now let's put it together. And suddenly you've got that guy jumping to someone else's part. You well, know, not, as the guy who does that often, it's frustrating for that person too. <laughs> uh, right. No, I, yeah, right. It's frustrating for everybody. Yeah. And, um, and I feel like, you know, some of that, that, uh, interval training helps, you know, there's, there's, um, there's a great iPhone app that I use for this. I got to find it. Uh, it's been a little while since I've used it, but, um, I think it's called interval trainer or something. That you could just, you know, spend 10 minutes a day with and it. It's great because it's constantly drilling this stuff into you. And that's the key. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, the close of this is it's a circle. We mostly just sing to piano or sometimes we'll just sing to bass if we want to if we want to take chords out so we can really hear yep. what the what the vocals are. We will um, we run sections of songs. We just loop them over and over, you know, hoping that it'll that it'll sink in. Um but we we aren't quite as anal as getting breaths on the same thing. We're more about um, blend and just the overall you know tonality, 
you know, if someone's being brash and their and their harmony is coming out, um, you know, we'll we'll pull it out. So Sweet. anyway, there. But my sum of it all, it's the most useful thing. I mean, everybody's comfortable kind of learning their parts on yeah. their instrument, but you know, singing and singing together. Very much a team sport that uh, that benefits from team rehearsal. Well, and it it is a team. I mean that that's one of the moments where you totally feel like you're you're a member of a team when you've got that harmony that's just you know it's bigger than any one person. It's the sum of the parts and all of that, and it yep. it's a beautiful thing to be a part of. Yeah, yeah, especially when you get that blend. So I've I've one lingering question to ask before we wrap up. Um, yeah. When you at the very start of this, and you might not know this answer, but you probably do at this point when if it's Nick, that's that's kind of, you know, deciding how to arrange these things. Does he do you know if he goes and like, does he go and find just the studio version or is, is does he seek out like live versions of it to to get a better picture of how those things were actually translated when there's just, you know, three or four people on stage that are able to sing it as opposed to the studio? Well, there's a few parts to the answer. So one is. We are often rearranging harmonies to work for who we are. Right. So he will sit there and he'll play the chord and then he'll play the harmony. And, you know, he will he will walk the harmony up as he as he walks the chord progression up and think about it and then think about who can, you know, who can be successful with what. So, right. yeah. you know, we are not locked into anything. But it's interesting that you ask about this whole live performance versus studio. Um, in most things, I prefer live performance because uh and this is like the great thing about youtube is that you know for any song you want to do as a cover you've got a hundred not only a hundred interpretations by the original person who did it but all you know lots of interesting things that other people are doing with the song to give you ideas i and i actually get a lot of inspiration from those things but the most important thing about live performance is um you know so many so many songs are creations of the studio whether via effects or layering or, you know, a, a million and, other techniques and vocals, especially. Right. And so yeah. if you want to see what the artist feels is the best representation of bringing, you know, a song to stage, I'm just a big fan. And and I love, I get a lot of ideas about how to perform a song, different types of breakdowns, different, you know, all sorts of things. So how I would to say end I was, it? Yeah, so many absolutely. songs with no fade, fade outs. outs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I'm a huge proponent of finding cool live versions. And you know, that's where we found this big and rich thing with this rap, oh, you know, stuck in the middle yeah. of it. It was just something I came across. And um, that's great. You, know, you learn a lot. Like I said, the original artists, how they interpret their own music live is really important. But then you'll get, you know, tons of yeah. interesting, smart people from around the world taking on the same song. And maybe you can get some inspiration for that. So that re- specifically to vocals. Number one is what is the best approach to winning? There are certain things where there's a certain note in a harmony that might be a defining, sure. a defining thing. Like, you know, in this, um, in Rich Girl, um, the way that we arranged it was, um, um, you know, the, don't you know, you know, yep. The, the, yep. that part. So Nick arranged it where we all start on a D note. Okay. And then one guy stays on the D note. One guy walks up. You know, I think he ends at a G and I walk down and end on a B flat. So it's this kind of exploding thing that he hears in his head that is particularly oh, useful. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, sometimes it's it's something that feels right. So no rules, of course. And, you know, the only goal is it has to sound good. So, right. you know, we're good. You know, you have you have a guy who can sing in this range. You have a guy who can sing in this tone. You have, you know, this, that and the other. You have a guy who has a particularly hard part to play 
that you know that, well, that's the, the other thing. thing yeah right when we were of course steve you know <laughs> he's playing bass lines all over the place and a lot of these things you know the jamerson bass line in, in ain't no mountain high enough the bass line in rich girl i mean there's stuff going on there and sometimes you have to write the phrase around you know what the guy has to also accomplish or prioritize what's more important yep. the, the singing part and we'll simplify the playing part or the playing part and we'll simplify the singing part yep totally yeah, yeah. No, it's good. Yeah, and you're totally right. It's such a pleasure now to be able to have access, easy access, to live versions of pretty much every song that's ever been performed live at this point. Um, because it, you know, it wasn't always that way. And you sort of had to, you know, go see a band live in concert and be like, oh, guys, I saw this thing, this, you know, and then it was always through the operator game and the filter and you never really got there, you know, but um, yeah, it's good. Next week, eventually... We're going to have to talk about taxes, but, uh, but as, as uh, usual, we filed for yet another extension on that one. So uh, I still want to have this talk about when playing music breaks your heart. You know, mm. there's times where it's just not going well, your playing isn't where you want it to be. You know, you're not getting the gigs you want where it gets really hard and you question, you know, what am I doing here? Yeah. Just kind of want to have a, a little therapy session on that. Well, that sounds like a good thing. That's what we do here on Gig Gab. Feedback at Gig Gab Podcast, folks, is where you can send in your topics for uh, for your and our musical therapy, or you can find us on Facebook at Gig Gab Podcast. Anything else for today, Paul, before we let them all go? No, good stuff today. Thanks yeah, for really asking all those stuff. questions about vocals. Hope this helps somebody. Yeah, it's I, I love that stuff. So thank you for sharing that, Paul. Good stuff. See you next week, folks. See you.